0: Have you ever had an idea which you thought could create some positive change in the world and then kind of put it on the back burner and not taking the time to invest in it? I think we've all been there. However, the person I'm interviewing today took an idea, ran with it, put the time that COVID gave him um, and grew an incredible not-for-profit, organization which highlights the plight of our coastal ecosystems in the UK and got so many incredible people involved to help educate, to be educated through science communication, presentations, and walking the coast of the UK. Honestly, this project is amazing and I am thrilled to welcome Scott Heavy to this podcast and learn about all the things that you guys can do to help out. Plover Rovers uh, in the UK, or maybe uh, you'll gain some inspiration to join a mission or create a mission wherever you are living. Thank you guys so much for watching. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, check me out on Instagram or Facebook, Ocean Pancake, or send me an email, oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com with any recommendations of other people you'd like me to interview or anything like that. If you want to help support the mission, you can donate on the Ocean Pancake website or or become a patron, or check out the YouTube channel. So many places to get involved in Ocean Pancake, and thank you guys so much for being here. Let's get into this interview. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andryskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. episode of Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I'm here with Scott Chavie, uh, director of the Plover Rovers and ex-punk rocker. Did I say your name correctly? I feel like I might have said that wrong.
1: (laughs) No, you said it correctly. It's wonderful.
0: (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here and that we finally um, had the time to catch up. I know it's been a long time coming.
1: (laughs) It's been a couple of months, I think, hasn't it? It's been in the making. Yeah, Yeah, really happy to be here today
0: well um let's dive right into it and please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into this like journey of uh, protecting our marine life
1: yeah so it's been a bit of a long and winding road for me um i started out as you said i, I uh, was a professional pug rocker or hard rocker um that that was my first occupation back when i was uh 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So I did that professionally for a while. Um, And then I ended up going back to school after having dropped out of high school. Um, I actually finished schooling and then decided to go to university. But I didn't actually uh, study anything related to marine biology. I studied classics Um, so uh, because I love ancient history and Latin. And then I worked as a teacher for quite a long time. and then, as so many teachers uh, will, probably many, many teachers will um, feel with me there, I just had a complete burnout at some point and just felt like I had to stop um, and I had to reconsider what I was doing with my life. Uh, and I took um, a bit over a year out and just really went into nature. Um, and basically, the, this whole hiking thing that, that is important for the plover rovers as well, um and that we'll talk about later that's that's kind of when that started because that was my therapy mm-hmm. i just went hiking and i went hiking by the coast a lot i went down um to catalonia uh so i lived near barcelona um oh,
0: amazing. at that time
1: yeah mm-hmm. and uh i just just loved the the nature down there and i just immersed myself really in nature and i felt um firsthand the just the healing powers that it has uh and after that time, I, I kind of I knew that I wanted to do something where I can do something for nature, and I'd always been uh, a nature activist ever since I was eight years old. I think I joined Greenpeace when I was eight, mm-hmm. so I'm an uh, I'm like an '80s child. So was I mean, the '80s were already quite grim, um, looking at, at things like Chernobyl and the oil um, spills and everything. So that's kind of what what my imprint is, and. Uh, I was always very, very passionate about nature and, and animal rights, um, but I had kind of put it, it was always a private thing. And then I thought, well, why shouldn't I make this actually into, into my work and really dedicate my life to this even more? Um, so I went back to uni. I did uh, an undergrad in sustainability and environmental sciences. And then I had one, one single module on marine life during that undergrad and I was like, that's it. <laughs> um, because the sea, when I was back in Catalonia, the sea had also been had just been su- such a, a healing power, and um, I just decided, okay, I'm going to do a master in marine environmental protection, and uh, did the master. Went um, from from sunny uh, Catalonia, I went up to Wales, um, North Wales. That was a bit of a, a shock. Uh, <laughs> did my master in marine environmental protection there at Bangor, which was wonderful. Um, And then after that, I pretty much straight away found a job as a marine biologist working uh, a a typical lab job as a benthic taxonomist. So I was looking at polychaetes mainly, um, uh, which was great. But at the same time, I was kind of like, uh, this is really interesting. But what I really want to do is reach out to people and get people Mm -hmm. excited about about uh, ocean conservation. So when um, COVID came along and I was furloughed because obviously we couldn't take our, our samples home yeah. and save them in the bathtub. Um, I uh, I had 100% of my my time, because um, it had been a full-time job. So I was like, okay, uh, I had this idea of setting up a charity and basing, basing it all on basically members of the marine community hiking along the coast and bringing their knowledge firsthand into coastal communities. Because uh, the way, what, well in in the UK very often um, a lot of coastal communities are quite deprived and Mm. there's sort of a a disconnect between the coastal population and really coastal science Um, so they're not necessarily the people who are the most into uh, marine and coastal science and we thought well it'd be just great to get to get more interaction between the marine scientific community and the coastal community. So that's the basis of uh, the Plover Rovers. And that's when I uh, started setting that all up and then it kind of just spiraled from there. Um, And now we're actually getting to having our first post-COVID live in-person events by the end of June. So it's amazing.
0: That does sound absolutely incredible. And I love the pathway you took. So I I don't know if you know this or um, many of my listeners know this, but I'm also a teacher, so I'm a high school teacher. So I completely understand what you're talking about with that burnout and that difficulty yeah. of, you know, working with so many different personalities, but at the same time, that drive to keep talking to people, to keep educating and understanding the value of um, not just pure science, but also the communication and storytelling that comes with um, science, exactly. which is exactly what you were telling me here. Yeah. So it's amazing to like see that. Um, reflected in someone who's kind of after that went back to uni. And before we dive into the um uh to the plover rovers a little bit more so many people that listen to this podcast always ask me like how do you get into marine conservation and how how do you get involved in that and you know you said you went to university to study it a bit later in life. How did you find that process? Was it not daunting to kind of restart as per se, your career or being a mature age student? Um, I, n- not for
1: me, not really. Um, I just jumped into it and I was really quite unconcerned about, uh, about anything. I yeah. was just, uh, I, but it's also because I think, because I talked to a lot of other mature students and some of them became my friends and we talked about these issues of like, what does it feel like to especially... Right. Um, especially undergrad i mean a lot of mature students do um at some time do a master's and during the the master's you you will meet a lot of other mature students and it's much more mixed Mm -hmm. but if you decide to actually do an undergrad you will sit there i think i was 37 Mm -hmm. when i started and um my most of my colleagues were in their early 20s so they just really came out of school or they'd just done their gap year and um and I really loved it. And I have a lot of a lot of my best friends actually from that time. Um, but uh, I did I, for example, I didn't tell anyone how old I was. Mm, and yeah. since I don't necessarily look um, my age and I'm also quite small, and that somehow also helps. Like people think, oh, it's so small. It's it's the punk rocker man. in you, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, still
0: exactly. very, very young at heart.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, so I never made it an issue. Um and that really helped, I think, because they kind of took me more as a peer, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and then someone when I was already friends with them, I basically told them like, by the way, what do you think of how old I am? And then, uh, so now they know. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, um, for me it wasn't really it wasn't really a concern at all. But I know that for some of my um, my more mature colleagues, it really was, and they uh, they had a lot of anxiety about going back to uni and putting themselves into that position. I think. I was also just really lucky because both in my undergrad and in my master's, I had amazing um, professors mm-hmm. um, who were very sort of flat hierarchy communication dialogue type people. Because I think what's difficult, especially if you come from being a teacher, is to go back into being taught. And then I could yeah. imagine if you have this kind of really top down um, approach, people, you're probably going to be like, What are you doing? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not some some 18 year old student I'm like a grown-up yeah. person we could talk on one level but I was really lucky in that respect because everyone was just really um, yeah very it was very much like between grown-ups it wasn't that sort of yeah. feeling of oh, I'm, I'm back sitting at school and yeah. getting graded and uh, yeah
0: but it just shows as well if if you're passionate about what you're going to study and if you're certain about it you talked a little bit about your education and how you got back into it. And now please do tell me more about uh the Plover Rovers because I think it's such a great idea and I just love to hear, you know, where did this idea come from and yeah, what what are you doing with it now? So the idea
1: started um January 2020. I went to a conference, um, <laughs> which was like uh just a general um marine science conference. Um actually uh the first conference really i ever went to um because it sounded so interesting and i was like "Ah, oh, you know conference conference fees are always a thing but i was mm-hmm. kind of like I'm, for this one time i'm actually going to do it i'm going to go there i'm going to pay for it i'm going to see what it's like and uh i heard an amazing presentation by an amazing lady called amy Pryor, who's um working for the uh Thames estuary partnership so and she was she's very involved in outreach and um, ocean literacy stuff and she was just talking she was talking about coastal communities and about some of the problems they're facing and about that it was going to be the year of the English coast in 2021 which it now isn't because of COVID but um, it was going to be so they were going to have a lot lot of um, activities around coastal communities and she was also talking about how the English coast path was going to be completed which it also isn't because of Covid but um, in theory you you would have been able to actually for the first time really walk the entirety of the English coast Um, at the moment you can walk most of it but there's still some some bits that aren't accessible Um, and I just felt really inspired and I thought oh this is so great like reaching out to communities hiking along the entire English coast wouldn't it be great if Marine scientists would be hiking the coast and would be dropping into coastal communities and talking to people there. Um, not so much just sort of regurgitating knowledge at them, but more sort of in a dialogue. Again, yeah. sort of um, this, this kind of outreach to show people in these communities that science isn't something that's somewhere else, but that science yeah. is something that is right where they are and that touches their lives. Um, and initially I just wanted to be that scientist. I just thought, like, I'm gonna walk the High English Coast Path, and I was going to drop in everywhere and talk to people. Um, then I looked, at, then I looked at how long it was actually going to be. Um, how long would it about. take? I think um, you could probably do it in like I don't know, half a year. Or wow! Yeah. Um,
0: it's really a pilgrimage almost. The ocean yeah, UK Pilgr- Pil- pilgrimage.
1: Yeah, and there's actually a guy who did it. Um, Quentin Lake, uh, he he actually walked the entire English coast, um, which is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, then I realized I wouldn't have time to do that, unfortunately, and also <laughs> I didn't want to be away from home for that long because I've got my my three cats and my partner, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to miss them all. Yeah. Um,
0: Can't bring cats, so I thought, well, but
1: yeah, <laughs> so. I thought, okay, but it's still a nice idea. And then my partner actually had the idea and he he said, like, well, you should just team up with some other people and like do it as a team. And I was like,
0: hmm,
1: Yeah, I could imagine doing that. Um, and then it just kind of like was was simmering in the back of my my head for a while until COVID happened. And um then really in the beginning of COVID, I did an online course on um social what was it? social entrepreneurship or something so it was basically about setting up stuff and um I thought I haven't set up stuff in a while um that'd be cool if I if I just set up like a kind of social thing around that and um and that's that was it really then then I just started it then I just thought like okay I'm gonna set up a I'm gonna do like a charity um I'm going to reach out to lots of people and ask them if they want to volunteer for it um I'm going to, uh, yeah, and it just kind of like, it was really like a work in progress. I just started doing it because that's a bit like what I, I think that's something that's a leftover from my, from my rock days, that it's just kind of like, you just start doing things and you just kind of set stuff up and then you, you tweak it as you go along. So I'm not, I think a lot of the time things don't happen because people overthink it in the beginning and then they get so scared by how huge it's going to be that they're like, "Ah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And if I'm looking at what I'm doing now, it's massive. Um, but as, when I started, it was just a step-by-step kind of thing. So I think that really helps if anyone ever wants to set stuff up. Uh, I mean, you, you need to do sums of preliminary thinking, but then um, just start do, going the first step and uh, and, and take it from there. So then I just started reaching out um, to the marine community as far as I'm um, putting a couple of ads for for volunteers up and we're completely volunteer run so it's it's there's no money involved which in a way is the beauty of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just people dedicating their time and their effort um, so I have got a lot of early career marine scientists who are volunteering for us. Um, And they get the possibility to do outreach, to do uh, anything. really, do like social media stuff and really let their creativity flow. Um, And then we've got just members of the scientific community who most of them are um, lecturers, uni lecturers or PhD students. Um, Some of them also are working scientists for some government organization or whatever. And and they're the ones who we get to do the talks. And then we've got five amazing long distance walkers who are actually doing the long distance walking and who will cover the entirety of the English coast. And they are um, on their way. They're basically they're doing sort of what what the very, very original idea was. So they are also young um, ecologists or marine scientists, and they actually Um, talk to everyone they meet on the way everyone who will listen Um, they drop into primary schools uh, scout groups um, just random people they meet uh, and talk about the coast and about what they what they see in it while they're why they are passionate about it why it needs to be protected so they're kind of spreading the word on that very um, one-on-one personal level so yeah and uh, we did a lot of, of online stuff um of course with with covid so we um offered everything we offer is always free for everyone and we put everything out there for everyone to access which is like one of the main things because we just want to be really really accessible um so we put out a lot of webinars covering all sorts of stuff uh some were really sort of biological marine like benthic taxonomy uh stuff like that seabirds whatever um and then other stuff was uh art and science communication Mm -hmm. um, where i was having a a chat with an artist about about what art can do for science communication or there was stuff like transformative change diversity in marine science so we did a lot of that sort of social um, more social stuff as well and now from the end of june when when lockdown restrictions are really lifted hopefully fingers crossed um we're going to actually have the the real in-person stuff where we're going to have our scientific talkers uh on all sorts of different i think by now we have around 20 events planned all around the english coast just for this summer so yeah um, really really looking forward to that it's going to be super exciting
0: it's absolutely incredible to see how far you have come just in the year and a half and how you've really used covid as kind of you know this chance to like okay well i you know, I'm not doing other work. So I'm going to put my heart and soul into this. And I've just been um, looking through your website now again, and I'm so impressed. I was just looking at your team and I can't even count the amount of amazing volunteers you have there and the diversity in there. And just, oh, it's beautiful um, to see how many people um, are, you know, giving their time to to this which is so good to see considering you know it's what I'm all about marine conservation and sustainability and you found this very interesting perspective I've never heard of it like walking around the coast and then just giving talks and just spreading the knowledge that way like it's almost like uh, I don't know how to put it like historic or you know like how how information used to be spread Yes, it's. I think it's very, very basic.
1: It's like, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so attractive about it. It's a super basic idea. It's, there's nothing fancy about it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um,
1: and and so many people have told me like, oh, I can't believe this has never been done. Um, but apparently, it has never been done. So, it's uh, yeah, not not with that idea of really uh, stringing it all together. And we have this this map on our uh, on our website as well, where um, we just keep adding. It's just a, a My Maps Google thing. Everything, like like I said, everything is like free. And, uh, um, and we're putting, so our long distance walkers, they're also writing blog posts and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're putting their blog posts up on that map. We're putting um, our events up on that map. We're gonna put the supporting material that the scientists provide for us up on that map so that even people who are not in coastal communities, they can basically go on a virtual hike and just click stuff on and there's lots of information on different coastal communities on there as well and they could just take a virtual hike all along the, the english coast so that it's accessible for people as well who who aren't actually there so yeah it's, it's really also this idea of opening up the uh the coast to people who don't have access to it so they can
0: and are Get most of the well. people, you know, who are volunteering, you, you said they were early career um, scientists or or students still. Are they all based in the UK or are you finding interest overseas as well? Most of them are based
1: in the UK, but um, that's just kind of happened. So we've had a couple of overseas volunteers. Um, I think we had someone from the Philippines at some point. We have um, someone from the US. Um, who actually by now though lives in the UK because she married uh, an English person so but not because of the Club of rose <laughs> that was already in the making okay so you <laughs> can't she take
0: responsibility of... for that one <laughs> no no um,
1: but uh, she did a lot of her work from the um, from the United States actually in the beginning um, we had someone in um, Belgium so yeah a couple of overseas uh, volunteers but a lot of them are actually based in the UK <laughs>
0: episode is brought to you by you guys. Thank you so much to everyone who is a patron and who supports me on Patreon or through donations directly to Ocean Pancake. It means the world to be able to take time and create this content for you guys and interview amazing people and yeah just be part of this incredible community and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this or give it a thumbs up or review it on any spotify itunes all that kind of stuff really appreciate um, all the love i've been getting about this podcast and hopefully we'll be able to create more podcasts in the future and yeah thank you so much Uh, let's get back to the episode That's very cool. And so you're doing these, these walks and the talks, and now I'm just looking at your events. So could you tell us a little bit about the types of events you do and who organizes them? And if people are listening to this and are in the UK and potentially want to attend or run an event, what, what can they do?
1: So um, the events are very varied. I would say they range from um, a classic sort of guided walk and talk um, for example, our very first event um, for World Sand dune day is going to be just uh, a guy who uh, who volunteered to talk who 's a geologist and he 's going to talk about um, changing coastlines and uh, sand dune ecosystems and how the dunes are moving about uh, and what that what the implications are for um, for the coastline in the east of England, which is rapidly eroding, generally. And um, so he's, he's going to do that's going to be sort of a straightforward walk talk um, thing. But we also are going to have events that involve artists. So we're going to have an event um, with actually a, a woman who's doing her PhD in poetry and her research is around writing outdoors. And how nature inspires art so she's going to do an event where we're going to basically do a poetry workshop on the beach and people uh, she's going to work with people they're going to pick up something that they find at the beach um, and then they're going to write a poem about it and uh, she's going to talk a bit about her art um, and the people are going to talk about what what inspires them and why they wrote what they wrote so that's going to be very arty and less sort of marine sciency but it's going to be very much about um about ocean literacy in the way that it will encourage empathy and it will encourage sort of like people opening up and, and just stopping to think and l- look at the little things and just kind of, yeah, come into themselves uh, at the beach while they're doing that. So that's um, that's probably the two extremes, like yeah, uh, yeah. from a scientific talk to like really an art- artist's workshop. And then we're going to have some events that are combining the two and mm-hmm. um, where we're going to have art and science, um, And we're going to have events where uh, which are more a little bit family oriented, where there's going to be activities um, specifically for kids um, and other events that are more aimed towards a a more grown up audience because they're more sort of um, maybe a bit boring for kids (laughs) because there's not so much um, actual activity. Uh, But yeah, so it's really extremely broad and it's up really to it's, it's all organized or most of it is organized by our local engagement officers. So we have. Um, volunteers who take care of a certain section of coast and if anyone in the UK is listening and wants to get involved we actually need more of these because a couple had to step down recently because of their work situation post-pandemic changing Mm -hmm. um, and them having less time so we're actually at the moment I'm also organizing some of these events myself and I don't really want to organize them all because uh, it's a lot of work so yeah Um, please get in touch if you want to get involved Um, and these these local engagement officers really like all our volunteers um, have a lot of uh, creative freedom when it comes to the events because it's a, a lot about um, they They looked at their section of coast and they basically just tried to figure out what kind of potential partners um, do we have in this section of coast are there any active artists are there mm-hmm. any other conservation groups that would like to get involved that do beach cleans or something is there a larger um, conservation body like a wildlife trust or something that that are active there that want to get involved. And then they just kind of reached out to these different partners um, and tried to just think up, conjure up um, a possible uh, events with them. Um, And we didn't give them any kind of guidance as far as it has to include a scientific talk Mm -hmm. or it has to include uh, something artistic or it has to. So they were really very free to work with whatever there was and also to work with whatever inspired them. Because we really say that part of our part of the idea that we're volunteer led is that we uh, we encourage all of our volunteers to slogan, uh, add their vision to our mission. Mm -hmm. So Um, we we really encourage that creativity, uh, so it's really up to everyone what they make out of it, and some of the volunteers, uh, for example, also decided to really go all in and organize quite many events on their stretch, and others Mm -hmm. decided to just focus on one event, Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's a a free-flowing process, which as a director is sometimes a bit challenging, because... (laughs) the more freedom you give people the more um of course they also it's it's very challenging for the volunteers as well so you you're going to have people who in the end don't really end up um setting anything up because maybe at some point they just didn't know what to do and they were lacking mm-hmm. guidance and even though we're always giving trying to give them the guidance they need uh sometimes then you need to uh it's it's sometimes easier if you had a more rigid structure and uh, but but we really want to encourage that. And again, I think that's that's my sort of uh, punk rock background that I just don't like giving too much. Um, yeah, I just I just don't really want to fence people's creative. Yeah,
0: I understand. Right? I understand what I, you I, mean. Definitely. Because yeah. in the past, I've I've um, been on the opposite side where I've, you know, I've participated in like, charities where it's very rigid and it's very strict. And there's documentation you have to sign and you can only do X, Y, Z. You can only do this, 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 and you're in this little box. And I ended up freezing up and just not doing anything because I think I have that free spirit kind of like you, where if I have an idea, I'd like to run with it. And it's on one side, I can, I can see how challenging it is, but on the other side, look how many people you've gotten inspired and allowed them to, to take this, year couple of years of uncertainty and stress and just isolation and build this amazing thing so it's really just it shows how much people want to do if they're given yeah. um the opportunity and you you were just there like hello <laughs> let's yeah, do this exactly <laughs> like
1: that it's just, everyone just come and do something and that's been the most rewarding i think of the whole experience mm-hmm. for me is just to see how many people care yeah. And, and how much they're prepared to, to give so much of themselves to, to something like that. And like I said earlier, in a way, it's beautiful that there's no, no money involved in it, because it kind of takes that out completely. And it's really just everyone being passionate about what they're doing. And uh, as much as I would like to pay them, for the work that they're doing mm-hmm. and i think that that's of course a big issue in marine conservation that there's too much expectation oh, yes. that people do everything for free which is not cool at yeah. all but, but there is a beauty to volunteering of course on the um as far as yeah just on that really just on that personal side of meeting all these amazing people who are willing to put in so much um that that's been just beautiful also through the pandemic when I was interviewing I mean I interviewed every single volunteer
0: on mm-hmm.
1: zoom um and so I've, I've met just all these people and it was just amazing i I mean uh, it gave me so much positive energy so that for me this whole COVID year has actually been really wonderful I've met yeah. wonderful people I've been doing a, a great project um and uh mm. it's really kept me sane uh so
0: No, that's yeah. You guys would have also had the actual lockdowns, and you know, when you were stuck inside, we were very lucky to not have that. But also, um, we definitely couldn't walk around all of Australia. I think that might take more than a year (laughs) to do some sort of coastal walk. We might also die in the heat out here. Um, Yep. (laughs) So, not quite the same, um, you know. Uh, starting point could work down under. But um, I, I absolutely love the idea. And I just think it's I think it's genius. In terms of um, the actual walks along the way, you mentioned that you have these long distance walkers who are writing blogs. Um, is there anything that these scientists or students do along the way apart from, you know, just take in nature and then kind of um, raise awareness of uh, plover rovers? Do they like do any citizen science, I gather data of, um, I don't know, wildlife sightings or anything like that?
1: So we're trying to, we were thinking, we, originally we wanted to do something like that. So the mm-hmm. original idea was we wanted to do um, a litter survey and we were hoping to find uh, some maybe litter hotspots that uh, um, people aren't aware of yet because they're in some uh region that normally people wouldn't be walking past if they weren't doing a long-distance track. Yep. Um, that has actually been unexpectedly difficult because, mm-hmm. of the, um, because the Marine Conservation Society, who are basically the ones who have a really great litter data collecting protocol that um, we wanted to use so that the data is actually comparable and useful, mm-hmm. um, they have very strict rules about how the actual cleans have to be done so that they're comparable um Mm -hmm. and that's not something that one person could do just on a walk so we kind of had to uh so we so the long distance walkers are supposed to if they spot anything um like if they spot a little cove that's full of litter and uh, they're supposed to take a picture of it and make a note of the coordinates so that we can kind of compile a little bit of an idea um but we're not doing any uh, bigger citizen science project um we're collaborating with some local uh places that do citizen science projects like for example there's one that are, they're looking at coastal erosion and it's basically a spot along the coast path that is marked um where you stand and take a picture of the coastline and then you submit the picture and then they're doing like a, mm-hmm. over the years they're looking at how the coastline changes and um when our walker is there they're going to take a picture of that so we're trying to sort of find citizen science projects and if we can do our bit then we're participating in them but there's not like a bigger citizen science um, aspect to it yet um, we're going to do more things in the coming years so Mm -hmm. we've got we'll have to stay stay tuned (laughs) yes absolutely stay tuned Um, and the other thing they do is that they collect stories um, so one of our uh, we have this we came up with this fancy like four la- four um layer approach to uh, mm-hmm. ocean literacy and one of uh, the layers is heritage and storytelling and um they are what part of their job is that they are supposed to talk to local people about the marine heritage and what the coast means to them yeah. um and we're hoping to collate these uh, stories Um, collect them on our map and paint a picture of the incredibly diverse uh, marine heritage of the English coast going from um, industrial of heavy industry steel and coal industry in the north down to um, the the little fishing villages down in the south uh, to the huge container uh, container ports in the uh, southeast and sort of paint this this picture of, uh, of coastal diversity, even in a small country like this, um, because a lot of it is quite, even though it's a, it's a little island, and I'm always, I mean, I'm not originally from um, the UK, so I always marvel at how disconnected people can be from such a small place where you think, yeah. like, you can literally, like, you can, you can drive anywhere in a day. Uh, but still there's so much like if you live in the uh in the southwest you will have no clue about what's going on in the northeast because it's like another country so we want to sort of unify that um and and tell people about this amazing coastal heritage and uh so that's something that the long distance walkers are doing um apart from just looking at the nature they're also looking uh, at the human component
0: what is this four-layer approach that you mentioned
1: um so the four layers are. uh, Basically, um, the, there's the science communication, which is really mm-hmm. the this idea of there's a certain um, knowledge deficit, and you want to communicate um, what you're actually uh, what you're doing. Um, so that would be sort of the classic starting point for a lot of ocean literacy stuff. Um, then uh, there is the um, a layer of art and emotion which is this, this idea of using art-based methods to really uh, open up people and encourage empathy and just reach a different layer of, of knowing in people. Um, yeah. And that's something that, that I'm, as, an, as a musician, I'm really interested in. And this is also what eventually, when I have time for it, I would like to do my PhD in art, arts-based research for sustainability sciences, because it's, like, it's big in social sciences, and psychology but it's not so big yet in the uh, natural sciences and sustainability but it's like it's coming um so that's the this art and emotion bit um then there's the heritage and storytelling which is um like the human dimension mm-hmm. of uh, of it where, which we think is really important because um we just think that if it's too much. Only focuses on the natural world. Sometimes the humans that aren't so far yet, the, or like the humans that are very urbanized and very focused on human things, not like us. I mean, we already we're already focused on nature and we connect easily to nature, and we don't really like we we can we have maybe like a direct uh, connection initially to nature. But there's a lot of people who need. We need a human dimension in order to mm-hmm. then connect to nature. So that's the idea of the heritage. And uh, uh, the fourth level is activism, um, because uh, we looked at a lot of definitions of ocean literacy. And in the newer definitions, there's a lot of emphasis on that there can't be ocean literacy with separated from ocean activism. Um, so it's not that pure idea of people need knowledge, but you also need to prevent them with um, to to provide them with uh, uh, pathways to to activism so that they don't uh just kind of freeze in oh god now i know all these all yeah. now i know about what, all the problems what's, next? And I don't know what's <laughs> next exactly so we collaborate with uh local organizations so that people locally um can then get engaged uh for example if if they go to one of our talks or one of our arts um events we will uh either try to have a local um conservation organization at the event um and maybe also do a beach clean or Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing and present the work that they're doing locally so that people can then be like oh that's great i'm actually going to sign up for that so we're hoping to create new volunteers basically for local organizations um and just also like with the proverovers um ourselves we just provide the possibility to if people then say oh I want to get involved with you guys then we're never we're never full we never we never say like we can't take new volunteers we're always yeah. we can always take more volunteers on so it's a very open thing um so yeah that's the activism so it's uh, science communication art and emotion activism and heritage and storytelling are the four layers that we're that we're covering
0: that's that's really amazing because they're on one hand, they're so obvious and crucial, but on the other mm-hmm. hand, I, I've just not seen it laid out quite in that way yet. And it's really, um, I think it's really powerful. Uh, and yeah, just, wow. <laughs> uh, before we kind of start wrapping up, I do want to ask you about the, the Plover. So why the Plover Rovers? Uh, mm. And a little bit about that. <laughs> So we wanted a mascot. That was clear. Like we definitely wanted a mascot,
1: yeah. and uh, we wanted a we wanted a coastal um, mm-hmm. mascot. So we didn't want a purely marine animal because we're very much about this this interface between land and sea, this coastal yeah. environment. Um, so a coastal bird uh, was kind of like yeah, good. Um, then we wanted one that occurs all around the English coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you were basically, you had the, the ringed plover um, and a bunch of gulls, uh, seagulls, and that was already almost it, um, as far as occurring around the coast. maybe oyster catches uh, mm-hmm. also occur all around, but it's not that many birds that occur all around the English coast. Um, and then we thought, okay, we want a mascot that people will really like and find cute. Yeah. So we decided against the seagulls because a lot of I love seagulls myself, but a lot of people will like have a. We actually even have an art project with someone like to improve human gull relationships. Uh, but yeah, so we decided against the seagull because a lot of people are not as positive towards them, oh, that's um, and that's pretty much. <laughs> and that pretty much then left the uh, the ring plover, um, which is I mean it's a cute bird and like who couldn't like a plover. And then the the good thing about um, that bird as well is that they are ground breeding birds. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot of issues around recreational disturbance. Um, And of course, since we are walking the coast and we are encouraging people actively to go out um, and interact with the coastal environment, but we want them to do it in a mindful way, so yeah. having a bird that has these issues is great, because from time to time we can do like little specials on our mascot, and we can like point people towards that uh, there's that problem of recreational disturbance. So that's yeah, and it rhymed with rovers, like if, yeah. because you can say plover, but we looked it up. You could actually, you can also say plover. It's, there's like two ways of pronouncing it. So if you pronounce it plover, you can say it's the plover rovers.
0: it it makes more sense because we actually have plovers in Australia as well so um it's quite a widespread bird um it's really found its way to all the continents yeah it's cool
1: because because that's that's actually I would love for for other people to copy the idea and they could Mm -hmm. actually take the same bird if they wanted to yeah because that's that's one of the the things I think that that was important to me when I set it all up um to and we're only using like relatively freely available um, stuff. Like we, we when we set up the map, we initially, we thought like, are we going to do like a GIS thing or um, how are we going to do it? And we decided on Google Maps because we mm-hmm. um, thought like, no, we want people everywhere to be able to copy the exact thing that we're doing and not have to spend money on it so that it's also available to people in countries that have less income than the UK. So I would love, because it's such a, like you said, it's such a basic idea. It's so simple. You don't really need... Uh, a big budget you just need like uh, a bunch of people who are passionate about it so um yeah so i like the plover i would lo- i would love it to spread to all continents and people to do like similar things
0: uh, that's great and i'm i'm sure it's gonna oh, I think um... you froze oh. oh i froze <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> you might have frozen there we go uh, i i do think that um that is certainly the trajectory you are going on um because yeah just to see how much you've built in a year and a half and the amount of partners you have absolutely incredible and i think that's really the power of just getting people involved and giving them that freedom to you know run wild with the with the mission to to raise awareness and to this four-layered approach i think that's i think that's yeah. your kind of golden ticket there
1: yeah yeah and i think it really helps that we also we just really focus on positivity and um, yeah positive messaging Yeah, um, because that's, that sort of links up with the activism as well I think because it's uh, I mean there's so much um, negative news that you could tell people yeah. um, related to the ocean and, uh, but there's also the possibility to, to tell people yes it's, it's bad but here's what you can do um, and so we really want to focus on this positive messaging and sort of enabling people, empowering people to do something rather than just scaring them into into just sitting there and thinking, "Oh my God, this is like we're all this we're we're just screwed." And um, and then they just go home and watch Netflix uh, for the next two years because they just want to get away from it all. So so that's uh, another thing that we're really when 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 it comes to the messaging, we just really want to do the positive messaging. Um, to give people positive energy to do something.
0: Once again, thank you so much, Scott, for joining me here today. You have truly inspired me to get out there and get more involved again. I think it's so easy to get kind of into a bad routine if you are feeling negative, but this has been an amazing chance to kind of um, reignite that inspiration. So thank you so much, Scott, Good luck to all the Plover Rovers, and yeah, I will hopefully see a blooming community all across the world with this kind of stuff. Maybe we can start Plover Rovers in Australia. As always, thank you so much to Graham Mose for being the mind behind music in this podcast. You are amazing, and yeah, if anyone wants to listen to Graham Mose live, he is based in Brisbane, so head on over there. Or check out his band, Fat Picnic, lots of funky tunes all over the place. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys next time.